Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now filling in for Jeff Wagner, here's Tracy Johnson. Glad to be with you today. It's 207 on WTMJ. We are in the final hour of this Jeff Wagner Tuesday afternoon show. And in studio, we have with us CJ Safer. He is the CEO for the Institute for Reforming Government. It is a policy think tank organization, resource organization that focuses on policy uh, that uh, gives all Wisconsinites an opportunity to succeed and prosper. They focus on education. They focus on budget, government accountability, healthcare reform, and economic growth. CJ, thanks for being with us today. Hey, how's it going? All right. That was quite an introduction, right? Thank you so much. Appreciate it. I know. And you were formerly with another organization. Where were you prior to IRG? Uh, Prior to IRG, three and a half years ago, I left as the executive vice president at the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, working with um, Rick Essenberg for almost eight years. A frequent guest on the show. So you have great pedigree and great um, network and and history to, to work from. So, CJ, we are on today to talk about one of the most important issues that you focus on with IRG, Institute for Reforming Government, and that is K-12 education. Can you give us a feel for the state of K-12 in the state of Wisconsin? Yeah, well, this uh, segment's incredibly timely. So we look at education of how do we increase academic uh, performance for students, uh, for teachers, in all sectors, in all parts of uh, the state. Wisconsin's a really big, diverse state. Um, <clears throat> one of the things we do at IRG is we do a lot of bridge building. So we drive around the state. We we get out. We're not an ivory tower group. We're not a Madison group. We've driven in the last two years maybe over 7,000 miles touring uh, public schools and charter schools and private schools in the Northwoods to the north side of Milwaukee. Um, and one of the things that we've been looking at is performance and especially post COVID because, you know, it was, it's a generational issue. Whatever you think about, uh, COVID, the school shutdowns, which resulted in tremendous unprecedented, uh, learning loss, especially with like reading. So that's why we were very acutely uh, focused on two weeks ago, the Wisconsin Department of Public Instruction released their forward uh, test scores, which is every school uh, across the state, uh, public, private, and charters required to do a uh, basically like a standardized test. And one of the, the things that we were focused on is how do these schools recover from COVID and what what schools are doing better than others, you know, trying to do similar demographics because obviously, sure. you know, there's a lot of issues out, out there, you know, that impact kids' performance besides the classroom. And, you know, we try not to get into like the sector wars thing, but we are very, you know, interested in performance of school choice. You know, in Wisconsin, we have really one of the stronger school choice programs in the country. Uh, a lot of parents have access to whether it's a state-funded school voucher to attend a private school of their choosing, or maybe in a, a public charter school or a traditional public school. For those who don't know exactly how you define choice and charter and public school, can you just give a, kind of a, a general overview what we're really talking about in terms of school choice? Yeah, so in Milwaukee, we have uh, Milwaukee, Racine, and across the state, um, students who are three hundred percent below the federal poverty limit have access to a uh, really kind of a state and local funded uh, voucher that they can use to attend a private school of their choosing. 
in Milwaukee. It's been around uh, for well over 30 years. Um, it used to have a tremendous amount of Democrat support. Uh, it was a bipartisan uh, policy led by Governor Tommy Thompson and um, Representative Polly Williams in Milwaukee. And it really, it was how do we get kids a better opportunity than some of the really struggling Milwaukee public schools? Um, we also have public charters, which is think of like you know traditional public schools, but with significantly less tape, more of an ability to experiment and do innovation. And then we have traditional public schools, which are kind of like your neighborhood zoned schools. So what were some of the takeaways then from your, 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 your tour across the state? What did you see when you started comparing charter choice public schools in terms of the outcomes and the results of those forward test scores? Well, first off, let's, you know, we'll talk about some of the solutions that, that I think can improve schools across all sectors. But really just focused on the test scores, one of the things that we found is that, you know, looking at the data from the state is that, you know, school choice is working. Parents exercising educational freedom by using a voucher or attending a charter school. Some of these schools, despite having similar difficulties, uh, are outperforming uh, their public school peers. So, for example, um, our K-12 researcher, Quinton Claybon. He put together a top 10 list because everyone loves top 10. So, you know, he did the top 10 reading proficiency schools in the entire state uh, that are high poverty. So we're looking at all these students at these schools uh, above 80 percent poverty. And when you look at those schools, six of those 10 schools are voucher or charter. Uh, So looking at, you know, you're looking at Nativity Jesuit in Milwaukee. Um, in Kenosha, uh, Kenosha Christian schools that are not public schools that parents, uh, from, you know, very modest means, low income families and communities are using their educational option to attend schools that are really high performing given the demographics. Uh, looking at mostly focused on, uh, students, uh, of color. So when you look at schools that have, uh, high populations, um, uh, black or Hispanic, Seven of those 10 schools are private schools or charter schools. And that's like, that's an astronomical number, right? Because these are schools that traditionally get less funding than public schools. Mm-hmm. They don't have access to the same resources. Um, they don't, you know, they don't have the ability to, you know, levy for additional funds or go to referendum like uh, public schools do. And when you look at some of these schools, especially in Milwaukee, when you're looking at St. Augustine Prep, you're looking at Nativity Jesuit, St. Marcus. These are the schools that with recent test scores that are really performing incredibly well, not just in Milwaukee, but really across the state for dealing with uh, students of color and dealing with students from uh, high poverty uh, family backgrounds. So what do all these schools have in common outside? I did hear that some of them are religious. Some of them are not. What, what are some of the things that you noticed that maybe... Uh, a public school or a, another school that's not on this top 10 list can learn from. Well, that's, you know, the beauty of uh, school choice is that you actually, you know, you have, you give parents the ability to make the decisions that are best for their families. So you're going to find that a lot of schools are going to be different. So as you mentioned, some of the schools that I mentioned that are performing incredibly well, uh, like St. Marcus are faith-based and there's a religious component to it. Uh, some not so much, uh, charter schools are not faith-based. So schools like Milwaukee college prep in Milwaukee, um, those are schools that are, that are performing incredibly well. 
um, really just being a being a traditional, be, being a public school, but acting with less red tape. When we drove around the state, um, really touring public schools, private schools, and charter schools, the big thing that we uh, found is there's actually a lot of shared challenges um, and potentially even shared solutions. So when you look at issues like mental health, issues um, like uh, just transportation, I mean, these are issues that you know we heard of in Milwaukee, but also in the most rural parts of like the of the uh, state where there's just not access to mental health treatment um and you know schools are using covid funding to kind of backfill you know what they need to kind of fix the mental health issue well and and you bring up so many good points and so many uh, uh, great things that that could really help all students, whether it's choice or charter or public schools. The goal should be really on increasing these test scores. And right now, school choice is has become a very divisive and political issue. So much so that there is a, 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 there's a lawsuit pending at the state of Wisconsin. When we come back, we'll discuss that lawsuit and how likely it is that school choice could just vanish from options and opportunity for these students. I'm Tracy Johnson, in for Jeff Wagner, right here on WTMJ. Welcome back on WTMJ. I'm Tracy Johnson, in for Jeff Wagner, joined in studio by C.J. Safer, the CEO for Institute for Reforming Government. They focus on uh, policy and solutions uh, for Wisconsinites. They are a think tank and a research organization uh, that is doing truly valuable work, especially around K-12 through education in the state of Wisconsin, just discussing the state of K-12 through education and the fact that school choice is very important in trying to solve for the great need that we have in educating our children. And right now, school choice is being challenged at the Supreme Court in the state of Wisconsin. And there was a recent article in the Wall Street Journal about this case. CJ, tell us a little bit more about what's at stake here. Uh, last Thursday, October 12th, uh, a group called the Manaqua Brewing Company Super PAC, uh, they made good on a promise to sue Wisconsin School Choice program. So it's a super PAC, um, Minocqua Brewery. They wanted to go after Wisconsin school choice programs as soon as the Wisconsin State Supreme Court uh, flipped from being, let's call it a majority conservative to majority liberal with the ju- with the election of Justice Protosawitz back in the spring. A super PAC, uh, Minocqua Brewery, started to raise money with a promise to sue Wisconsin school choice programs. Um, they must have raised a bunch of money. Uh, Two weeks ago, they filed a lawsuit, a uh, original action petition in front of the Wisconsin Supreme Court, uh, calling Wisconsin school choice programs uh, parasitic and predatory. Uh, they went after, they sued the Milwaukee school voucher program, uh, the school voucher program in Racine across the, the state. They also went after um, special needs vouchers, and they also went after uh, public charter schools, too. All of those programs, they uh, were sued. So, you know, the irony is last segment we talked about what are some schools that are doing incredibly well despite dealing with uh, difficult populations, uh, difficult students. And it's some of these schools that are actually in this lawsuit. And uh, it's in front of the Wisconsin State Supreme Court. Uh, You know, the legalese is essentially, you know, 
they cite all these different provisions of the state constitution that, you know, there needs to be more oversight by the Department of Public Instruction because these schools get so much public funding. Um, they go after this uniform taxation provision in the state constitution that essentially says that, you know, more or less, but all schools have to be funded in similar manners uh, of taxpayer money. Um all of, some of this has been rejected by the Wisconsin State Supreme Court uh, decades ago. Um, it's purely opportunistic. They're trying to take advantage of the new of the new complexion, uh, the new composition of the state Supreme Court. Um, and right now, it's in front of the state Supreme Court. We don't really know what's going to happen. The state Supreme Court, uh, I believe, is going to act on this petition uh, probably sometime in the next couple of weeks. They'll decide whether they want to hear the case or not. If they say no, they don't want to hear it, it might go back down to the lower courts. If they say they do want to hear it, this is a case that will be, without a doubt, one of the biggest state Supreme Court cases uh, you know, in decades in Wisconsin. There'll be, there'll be oral arguments next year, and it'll be, it'll be decided by July 4th. And there is, this is not a hyperbole. It, flat out, anyone who reads the um, lawsuit, this would end school choice in Wisconsin, uh, period. Full, full stop, some of these schools uh, would cease to exist come next year, next school year. Uh, we're talking about over 50,000, 60,000 students across the state, a lot of them in Milwaukee, uh, that would literally be kicked out of their schools um, almost overnight. They would need to find new, new schools. We should talk about that. Um, but we were talking about really a complete overhaul of Wisconsin's K-12 education if this lawsuit is is successful in the Wisconsin State Supreme Court. Last time I checked in the state budget discussions when the the governor signed the, the state budget, the biennial state budget, school choice did receive additional funding, as did public school. What would happen to all the money? You say the kids would all get kicked down into... The public school system, what about the money? Are we still talking about the money following the kids? And if so, a voucher isn't the same cost as what MPS is really trying to figure per student. So how does this all work, or is that all to be decided by the courts and and all the people surrounding this chaos? Well, there can be a lot that's decided by the courts, because these are all state constitutional claims. It's you know, we have a state Supreme Court. It's a court of last resort for claims about the state constitution. There really won't be a way to appeal this. Um, so some of the questions on funding and manner and mechanism, you know, probably they won't touch. Um, and the money would really just kind of default to, you know, life preschool choice, which is really kind of hard to fathom because it's been in the fabric of Wisconsin for well over 30 years um, it is really it's hard to think about what life would be like if if these schools are uh, if the school choice pro- programs are shut down. Uh, but it is a very real possibility, especially because we have a uh, a new state Supreme Court that's a liberal majority. And we just don't know uh, how progressive and how aggressive this court will uh, be. Well, so when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about some of the solutions. But all I keep thinking about is haven't these kids been through enough we're talking about potentially 60,000 students across the state of Wisconsin, mostly in Milwaukee, who would now have to start over again with a new school. 
many of these kids just came back into school post-COVID. So huge ramifications that we could potentially be looking at. CJ Safer, the Institute of, for Reforming Government. When we come back, let's talk about some solutions for education here in Wisconsin, right here on WTMJ. Two twenty-eight on this Tuesday afternoon. I'm Tracy Johnson, in for Jeff Wagner. We are joined in studio by CJ Safer, CEO for Institute for Reforming Government, talking about this uh, school choice lawsuit that's before the Wisconsin Supreme Court, or could be before the Wisconsin Supreme Court before the school years end. Uh, we could find out a lot more information in the coming weeks, but. Right now, CJ and his organization are focused on identifying some of the solutions, the bipartisan solutions that will help educate the hundreds of thousands of children uh, across the state of Wisconsin. So, CJ, what have you found and what do you think are some of these uh, these efforts that could uh, really make a difference? Right now, we're focused on really there's a lot of solutions that we need to uh, do in Wisconsin. We're focused on really three main ones at the moment. First off, my colleague, Quinton Claibon, our researcher for K-12, he is tracking all the spending that districts are doing on COVID from the uh, COVID money. So the federal government has given schools uh, well over a billion dollars of federal money that's supposed to be sent uh, to the districts that's supposed to be used to improve learning, especially learning loss post-COVID. So what he's done is he's created a database on our website where we're tracking how every district is spending money. Long story short, by September of 2024, every last dollar has to be spent. uh, And we are encouraging districts to use money wisely, use money for uh, things like mental health, use money for things like uh, tutoring and literacy and childhood, um, different types of extracurricular activities, really trying to help uh, students that are you know struggling from COVID uh, to basically get caught up. We're trying to like for con- convince districts not not to use the money on athletic uh, facilities or construction, which a lot of them are. To believe it or not, well, and so many of these solutions, it sounds like, would require additional staff. And with the yep. the staffing shortage, how do you encourage them or incentivize them to to realistically figure that out? Well, that's the second big thing we're uh, working on in the state legislature is one of the big things that we heard when we traveled the entire state. Doesn't matter if you're in the North Woods or the north side of Milwaukee, public school, charter school or private school. The number one issue that every school faces is teachers and workforce. And there's just not enough teachers. There's, There's not enough high quality teachers, but there's a teacher shortage in the entire state of Wisconsin, every single corner, every single sector. The state legislature and the governor have to be laser focused on really coming together to figure out how we can increase that talent pipeline. Um, these is holding back all these schools that they don't have just they don't have enough teachers and they don't have enough good teachers. We're trying to uh, create something called teacher apprenticeships. So kind of take a model that's working in other industries and apply it to the teaching workforce. Get people who want to be teachers into the classroom much, much quicker uh, so hopefully that can alleviate a little bit of the pipeline burden and kind of increase quicker uh, the workforce for education. Well, what about retaining teachers? I know a lot of them, you know, post-COVID just said, you know what, I'm going to hang it up uh, right now. So how how do you manage that? Or is this a potential area for solution? 
Well, that's one one of the huge issues is how do we kind of keep staff and keep them happy and entertained? Of course, Act 10 gave school districts a tremendous amount of resources as far as kind of flexibility on pay and merit pay and kind of paying for performance. Um, That's an an issue that there's COVID funding and school districts, uh, every school across the state got a lot more funding in the most recent bipartisan uh, uh, budget deal. And we've long encouraged that more money needs to be kind of bypassing the administration in these districts and going right to teachers and right into the classroom. The third big policy is uh, last year, last summer, we were involved uh, in some of the bipartisan in a bipartisan bill to change the way that kids are taught reading. Uh, Reading is just so basic and uh, it used to be taught with just phonics and just sounding out words. Uh, recently, there was a national trend really big in, in Wisconsin to go more towards memorization, um, and that had disastrous results, especially during um, COVID. So, you know, there was a law that was there was a bill that was signed into law by Governor Evers that would require phonics for all schools, require that teachers be learned how to taught reading the right way, kind of rejecting kind of junk science, for lack of a better term. And right now, we think one of the biggest things that schools can be doing is implementing these laws. The DPI has to be implementing it and making sure that we teach reading the right way by phonics and making sure that we can identify the kids that can read by third grade and those that can't get them the resources that they need as soon as possible. There's been a lot of resistance to even test at some of those younger ages. How long will it be before we'll start to see results of this new policy and new legislation, new way of teaching reading? Well, a lot of it's going to be up to the DPI and a lot of it's going to be up to the school districts. If, uh, you know, we are going to be working hard to ensure full implementation of the law. Um, other states like Mississippi that have implemented these, these laws really saw results within three, four years. Mississippi went from last place, really kind of one of the worst states in the nation to do reading, uh, especially for black students. And now they've jumped about 10 spots. So our hope is that right now Milwaukee is really one is really right now the worst uh, city for reading, uh, especially for black kids. And we hope that Milwaukee can make similar gains, but they have to focus on teaching reading the right way and get these kids the resources they need as quickly as possible. CJ Safer from the Institute for Reforming Government. Uh, before we depart here, how can we engage in this? How can we learn more about the efforts, especially around K-12 through education, an issue that's so close and so important to so many of us? Our website is reforminggovernment.org. Uh, listeners can please go there, get access to the resources that we just talked about. But also, if there's any questions that you have for us or our team, or if you have a story that you want us to like tell, uh, there's going to be places there. And please like keep in touch with us and like kind of tell us your stories of education because that's kind of what we're trying to advocate for. Now, CJ Safer Institute for Reforming Government, thank you so much for what you do. Thanks for bringing us this information. And thanks for making us think a little bit bigger and more broadly about education in the state of Wisconsin. Thank you.